You're listening to Live with the League, part of the We Love Where You Live podcast series brought to you by the Michigan Municipal League. Okay, well, welcome everyone. Um, I'm Matt Bach, Assistant Director of Strategic Communications for the Michigan Municipal League. And you've joined us for another edition of Live with the League, a every other week noon discussion where we talk about uh, legislative issues and uh, league related events and programs. Uh, today, we got a really uh, kind of a hot show. We got two hot topics uh, to talk about, and we have a guest. Uh, Luke Forrest from the executive director of CEDAM is on the line with us today and uh, him and uh, John Lamacchio will be talking to, to us about the American uh, Rescue Plan uh, coalition that has been assembled. We'll talk about that. And then we also have uh, Jennifer Rigtrink. Uh, she'll be talking about the short-term rental issue and some asks that we have of our members uh, on this issue as that is a, a very hot um, item right now in Lansing. So we'll get started with our guests, Luke and, and John. Luke, welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to see everyone online, yeah. some familiar names. Uh, as <laughs> if you don't recall, I was uh, league staff just a few years ago um, yes. and still have a good, strong relationship with the team. I was going to call you a former MML or I don't know if that's a word. Sure. Or that, but. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, Luke was great. Uh, I know Luke very well. Uh, it's great to have him here today. Um, and uh, so, John, tell us a little bit about this coalition that, that's been assembled. And then I'll ask Luke a couple questions about why his organization's involved. Yeah, of course. And thanks, Matt. And Luke, always good to see you, even if it's it's virtually. And appreciate your partnership uh, in, in the coalition. So, Matt, the, the coalition is a coalition for a strong and prosperous Michigan. And it really started out of some conversations that us and the Michigan Association of Counties have been having with the state budget office, uh, like many other organizations will, or, or, or we're having, I should say. And ultimately led to uh, an idea of gathering some like-minded individuals that wanted to see thoughtful, intentional, and bold uh, investment from the state with their American Rescue Plan dollars. And so to date, the coalition has grown to just short of uh, 50 groups and individuals ranging everywhere from, you know, us and Mac, as I had said, to, to Luke with CEDAM, to DTE, to... Um, you know, the Southeast uh, Michigan Council of Governments, but to some non-traditional partners too, uh, as we think about this, to some small chain chambers. So the Saginaw County uh, Chamber of Commerce is on board, the Muskegon Lakeshore Chamber of Commerce is on board, uh, the Michigan Home Builders Association has joined on, as well as the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. Well, I'm sure Jen will talk to you uh, in a little bit about our partnership with them on STR as well. So we're leveraging these partners that we're building both uh, on this issue and, and other issues to get things done. But importantly focused here, Matt, is what we recognize is the state is still sitting on just short of $6 billion in American Rescue Plan uh, resources. And how they spend that money, we talk about transformation all the time, and it, it's an apt word, but how they spend that money is really going to make a difference for Michigan uh, for the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, if done appropriately, uh, and in that context of really strategic and comprehensive investment. So, you know, the coalition itself has been able to get together. Uh, they've been able to put a proposal out on paper uh, to invest about $5.8 billion. So the remaining amount, it ranges everything from water infrastructure and broadband to housing, to economic development, to public health and safety. So we're really, really excited about what's going on here. We're excited about the opportunity as an organization to be involved with that coalition. 
and really over the next few weeks are going to start to push uh, for action hard out of the legislature. So uh, I appreciate you giving us a few minutes to talk about it. Yes, absolutely. So Luke, what was some of the, when you heard about the coalition, what was some of your thoughts about it and why did you end up signing on and being part of it? Yeah, thanks, Matt. So a little background for folks who don't know. So CEDM is the Community Economic Development Association of Michigan. Uh, we're about a 25 year old organization. We represent uh, about 250 uh, organizations statewide, um, mostly nonprofit, but we do have for-profit and local governments as well. Um, we really started out as an affordable housing focused organization. So this is what attracted me, Matt, was, you know, we all have our own advocacy um, in mind, you know, from CEDAM side, it's uh, funding for affordable housing, funding for broadband, funding for early childhood programs, or just some of those. Um, but can we put our own, you know, self-interest aside for a minute and be part of a bigger whole as a coalition and really thinking about it from a strength in numbers perspective? Um, and as John already mentioned, we got a diverse group, um, maybe some strange bedfellows, as they say, folks who don't normally all um, work together. That really makes a difference in legislators' minds. Um, you know, I used to be a legislative staffer um, many years ago, and that was a big difference to me when I saw um, a coalition come to mind that you couldn't predict. You know, when they when they came and presented something to me that wasn't the standard self-interested uh, pitch, suddenly you had to say, "Huh, why is this group also asking for funding for water infrastructure when that's not necessarily their thing?" Or why, you know, why are they asking for funding for local government when they're not a local government? That makes you. Um, take a closer look and really take it more seriously. And I think, uh, I think all these groups did that is kind of set their own self-interest agenda aside for a few minutes, get together and come up with one that we think is, you know, balanced for everyone. And in the end, I hope that gets us all better results. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It, 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 we run into the same thing. If they just see our faces every time, you know, lobbying, John, John and the team have talked about this a lot. They kind of like, well, you guys always ask for the same thing, but if we're part of a larger group, that makes a big difference. Uh, John, um, so we've had the, the plan, which is available on the website, which is miroadmap.com. You can see the plan on there on how we recommend spending the $6 billion in, in, in ARP money that the state has. Uh, what kind of reception have we been getting to this so far, John? Have we been able to send it to share it with lawmakers? Yeah, we, we have. And, and so I'll talk about that. I'm going to build on what Luke said, too, because I think it's just such a, a, a critical point. But in terms of the reception that we've had, um, the, the coalition has put together an executive committee, which includes the League, uh, the Michigan Association of Counties, uh, DTE, the Home Builders Association of Michigan, and Shaheen Development. And last week and this week, we've been meeting with legislative leadership. So everybody from Senator Shirky and Senator Ananick to the governor's team, to the state budget office, to appropriations chairs. And the response has been positive. And, and, and I think this is a, a critical point of what we have done through the coalition's effort is we don't walk into that office telling that legislator that they have to do this. It, it is really an objective to come in with a framework or a roadmap as the plan would suggest as one way in which to do it, but really showing them that we can be partners in this space and work thoughtfully together to achieve what we believe is a shared uh, vision and outcome. And, and to, to Luke's point earlier, you know, setting aside differences and kind of your own personal wants and desires from an organizational perspective isn't always easy to do. I mean, having advocated uh, on a number of key issues for our members over the course of the year that are very singular focused, 
you know, getting outside of your lane and really partnering with others and saying collectively what works. So it's not a plan just for local government. It's not a plan just for economic development or private interest, but there are, are component parts that everybody can see themselves in. Which to your question, Matt, is I really why I think when we can walk into a legislative office and show them what we have, they're receptive to it. Um, and again, strength in numbers always helps, right, Luke? Yeah, for sure. So um, go ahead, Luke. Did you want to add something on that? Nope, go ahead. Okay. So just, um, uh, so what kind of uh, timelines are you working on, John? And what are some of the ways our, our members or anybody watching this today can maybe help with this effort? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that we have learned, uh, quite frankly, in our, in our meetings over the last week, and, and probably we'll hear much the same this week is, you know, we need to get something done. Uh, and so there's a sense of urgency that needs to, to, to really coalesce here collectively as a group. And I think there are some that have different timelines because they always do, right? I mean, if you're the governor, you might have wanted spent last week. If you're the legislature, you might want to be patient and think about what's happening at the federal level as it relates to the, the federal infrastructure package. I think the simple message is don't wait right? The simple message is, is that we really need to get the legislature to act because as we've talked to all of our members about, and I'm sure Lucas talked to his and others in the coalition have talked to theirs, is there is a, a key component of this of when others have resources that you can leverage them against what the state ultimately decides to do. And the longer the state waits to act, the harder it is for us at the local level to, to wait. Uh, and if we're really going to amplify the, the opportunity here, we need to get the state to move on this. And, and I don't want to put an artificial timeline on it by any means, Matt, but I think in an ideal world, if, if we had a, a really good path and even some action coming into the Christmas break by the legislature, we'd be in good shape. And that matters for everything from next you know, construction season uh, to the empty you know, brownfield piece of property you have in your community to the housing needs we have in the state. We just can't wait anymore. Yeah, I, and I think that time element's important, John, because <clears throat> we've been telling our members to take their time on spending this money because the, they don't have to allocate it till the end of two, 2024, and they don't have to spend it to the end of 2026. But yeah, we're telling the state that we need some action relatively quickly. Can you explain how that's connected? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So if, if we're asking our members to be patient to wait, it's because we need the state to do something. And, and so in order for them to have to wait no longer, the state has to act. And so pushing on one end for quick action to make sure we have maximum opportunity at the local side is, as we're being patient, thoughtful about what we can do is gonna allow us to maximize that. I think the stark warning here, to be very honest, Matt, is that every day we don't act as a state uh, and, and as a legislature is a day that we're losing to other states. I mean, everybody else got this money too. And so if, if Ohio or Texas, California, you name it, is investing in economic development or infrastructure or housing, jobs are going to go there, right? Because there's limited labor uh, in the market right now. Supply is an issue. And so if we wait, you know, we're going to be further behind uh, and, and that's going to be problematic. So if there's an ask to our members today, it's to encourage legislators to get out and act. And of course, uh, pay attention to what the coalition has suggested because we think it's pretty darn good. 
Thank you. Uh, we do have a request. Can we view the uh, the what the, the policy that our team has put together, the, the coalition has put together, and we'll share that link in the chat. Um, Luke, what are, what are some of the parts of the plan? Uh, I know that I believe there's five different parts. What are some of the parts of the plan that you guys really uh, view kind of uh, important for your organization and overall? Yeah, well, first, I want to just underline what John said about the timeline. Um, I think what's important here, too, is to remember that spending through state agencies takes time, right, for that money to trickle down. We've seen that with the previous stimulus bill, the CARES Act, um, which we're still spending uh, almost a year later um, at the state level. And especially if that's influencing uh, dominoes at the local level, this is all going to take a long time. And I also want to underline what you said, John, about the construction season. You're, we are at risk at this point. If you're dumping, say, 100 million dollars into uh, you know housing construction or whatever from the state level and more at the local level, um, we're at risk at this point of, I think, missing the next construction season if they don't act quickly. And that's the same for all the infrastructure investments and all those other pieces. So Matt, those are some of the, to your question, those are some of the pieces we view as most valuable. Um, you know, a lot of those um, infrastructure hard investments uh, through affordable housing, um, through sewer and water infrastructure, um, but then also some of the uh, broadband would be another that's a huge priority for our members. But then also some of the, you know, what you call more the soft costs, the, creating that capacity. We all know that um, our local governments and a, a lot of our nonprofit organizations really have been struggling with capacity for years because of staffing and budget cuts. So I think some of the investments in the capacity of the organizations to get the work done go really well hand in hand with that that sort of hard infrastructure. So we're super excited. And what's I think the strength of this roadmap is is its comprehensiveness, right? Um, I think it's well positioned to really go in any direction based on your particular interests in your community, what your elected officials are saying, et cetera. We've got, we've got almost something in there for everyone. And I think that's the strength. Yeah, and, and Luke, I'll add to that because again, there, there is a lot in there for everybody. But I think we also recognize that, you know, we, we have problems in excess of the resources we have. Um, and, and, and that's just the honest truth. It, it, it also puts you know, the state in a tough position and us as a coalition, quite frankly, as we looked at this, how do you maximize as many potential avenues for investment as, as you possibly can? So while there are some very, very immediate short-term needs because uh, there tends to be in the middle of a, a pandemic, um, but at the same time, the focus of the coalition was really thinking about this long-term. And how, you know, when, when you have the, the opportunity such as we have today, how do you actually utilize that in that strategic and comprehensive fashion in, in, in which to invest these resources? And that's really such an important term. I, I think Luke, uh, myself, or Matt haven't used the word spend yet today because it's not just <laughs> about spending the money, right? It's, it's really about in, investing the money uh, to, to provide some future returns. And, and, I, and I'll say, I'll speak almost... Uh, more from an organizational perspective here for a second is I think what we have, have recognized is quite frankly, some of the fruits of our own labor here where a lot of that plan not only talks about the desire for equity across the board, but really it is a, a, a strategic vision to invest in people, places, and businesses, much like we've talked about over the last decade. Luke, I, I know obviously you were a part of it with the organization. I know CEDAM echoes those things but now you have 50-ish people echoing that and talking about it as being the right direction forward for Michigan. 
and that by itself is powerful. And I don't think we should lose sight of, of where the world is trending and how we are at the forefront of that sometimes. That's for sure. That That's great. And last point, John, you talked about the leveraging part. Um, and it's not so much we, we want communities to hold off to see if the state spends the money on broadband so they don't have to. It's about kind of building upon the investment that each other makes. Is that correct? Yeah, that that's absolutely correct. I mean, it's it's easy for me to speak uh, to it from the infrastructure space, right? Because if you can take one dollar and turn it into five, you're going to build more infrastructure. You know, pretty pretty simple. And we need that. Um, you know, Luke, I'll let you talk to about you know how the how the amplification that layering works at the at the local level. But I know we talk about the capital stack sometimes, kind of outside of my wheelhouse. But but there's there's clearly some things in there that are going to allow that same sort of leveraging aspect. So I'll, I'll let you talk about that. Oh boy. I didn't know capital stacks was coming into it. So I'll get on my flow charts. Uh, no, I, I, just wanted to, I just wanted stacks? to sound like I knew like terminology. Capital <laughs> stacks. Right. What's the word you're talking about? What is it? Stacks. Right. Yeah, just stacks of funding. So, you know, oh, a I complicated see. real estate development project might have 20 plus, you know, different fund sources of funds. But I think the important thing with the leveraging, so we have data to show that like when we have invested in um, downtown infrastructure and affordable housing in the past, for example, you get $11 for every $1 that the state spends. So that's the kind of goal we're going for here, I would say, wow. is that um, that leveraging, you know, that other $11 often is coming from a combination of bank, private sources, uh, corporations investing, maybe other government programs as well, not just the direct grant that you got. So that's really what we should be going for. And we had that opportunity, because like you said, Matt, you can spend this all the way through 2026. Um, the other the other leveraging factor is we probably have a lot more money coming uh, from federal legislation down the pike. And that's, to me, what hopefully will create the sense of urgency at that state level is, you know, just in housing alone, we potentially could be getting three or four billion more dollars uh, if the uh, federal budget bill passes as currently drafted. That's just for housing. Right. Um, and, and that's just for Michigan. And we'd have to figure that out. Um, and we can. You know, we're already struggling to figure out what to do with the six billion. So that's that's the kind of pipeline that you might be talking about here of federal money. So I think that should encourage us all to get on the ball and start uh, making the plans happen. Well, thank you, Luke. Uh, and if you do have any questions for John and Luke, we're, we're going to be uh, wrapping this part of the conversation up. But I did want to, uh, if you have questions, uh, I'm sure John, if Luke stays on, um, they can answer them uh, toward the end. Uh, anything else you want to add, John, before we move on to Jen? No, I just I, I appreciate the opportunity, Luke. Thanks for for joining. I mean, this it is a it is a significant undertaking and a great endeavor, um, but hopefully it will provide significant dividends if if we actually have the ability to to work through this. And so far, we've seen our, our ability to make an impact, and and I think we'll continue to see that. So just excited to be involved in the process and part of the coalition. Great, great. Thank so. you guys. Thank you, Luke. So I did want to bring on the, the league's Jennifer Rig Trink uh, right now. We had a big, uh, long week last week for a lot of people on the short-term rental or vacation rental issue. Um, Jen, tell us a little bit about what happened last week and where things stand going into this week. Sure, Matt. So, you know, last, um, last week we had heard that the short-term rental um, bill 4722 was going to be talked about in the House. Um, you know, it was a bit of a surprise going into work Tuesday morning um, that I didn't go home till 
Wednesday morning, and many of you um, on the team internally were up just as late as I was. Um, <laughs> you may not have been uh, hit the capital, but you were definitely up, and um, it was a great uh, a teamwork that, that evening um, that actually helped keep, <laughs> keep me going, um, as well as our members who we were interacting with, who were, you know, at night talking to their legislator on the House floor, getting information passed back and forth. But um, House Bill 4722 uh, was passed um, a little before 2 a.m. And um, I'm gonna just change my background here. So you can notice this timestamp up here in the corner. What are we and looking so, at? Is that the vote? Is that the vote? Is that what that is? The vote yes, board? This is the vote board. This is a picture I took at 1.56 a.m. is the, the timestamp up there in the corner. And ah. You move a little bit. Folks wonder maybe where they're represented. So if they're in red, they voted. What are you looking at? Green means if what? They're in red. They're red. They stood with local government and, and they vote. They opposed the bill. If they're green, uh, they voted um, to um, support the preemption and all the other stuff in the bill. So <laughs> we ended up with a, a, an H11 um, that was adopted. Um, the rumor was that this was a deal and a compromise struck with local government and restaurant and lodging. Um, that is not the case. Um, in fact, I didn't even get the bill until it was in um, the House system that, um, and then it was shared with us. Um, we had to get it through somebody on the inside um, once it was already out and in the system for legislators to review. Um, it took until, you know, almost 2 a.m. for them to have enough votes. It passed uh, 55 to 48. 55 was the minimum um, uh, yes votes needed to pass the bill. Um, and so, you know, at this point, if you're in a district that this is a huge ordeal um, when it comes to vacation rentals, this should be a huge ordeal to everyone because, again, this is preemption. This is another strike um, at uh, home rule this sets a precedent for future um, interests to come in and do the same thing and, and point to um, this bill, this legislation. Well, you did it here, don't do it for us. Um, but especially in our destination areas where um, they are really facing, um, you know, the, the need of short-term rentals in balancing those with the housing needs of their year-round residents, um, you know, you need to see where your legislator ended up on this issue and, and talk to them and ask, you know, you, if you were a no, why did you become a yes? Um, but as well as talking to your senator and making sure that they understand, don't make the same mistake as our rep did. Um, this, we, this could be up in the Senate tomorrow. Um, I'm feeling more confident today um, in some conversations I've had just this morning uh, than I was through the weekend um, about this bill uh, being um, moved tomorrow. Uh, it doesn't appear that it, it will be, but that's only going to um, stay off the agenda if folks are reaching out to their legislators. And I have to say that I understand um, and feel for some of you, I know some of you um, in reaching out to your, your legislator have not had good interactions, either because they're um, already have told you where they're at and um, you know, you're checking in to see if that position has changed. 
um, or they uh, they just they don't want to engage in the conversation, and I, it it puts you in a in a predicament. Same with us. It's we're we're damned if we do, we're damned if we don't, because it's either well, I didn't hear from anyone. No one came back and said that they still had issues with this. So we do need folks to keep following up and keep engaging and having that conversation, keeping the lines of communications open. Um, and I, I will say, blog. oh, go ahead. Yeah, we're going to mention Jen's blog. Go ahead, talk about the blog, Jen. Yeah, I was going to say, I did do a blog on the H11 that was adopted. Um, we have a number of questions uh, if it uh, helps or hinders. Um, there are some things in there where it allows a community to set a 30% a uh, cap on all housing stock um, that you can't have more than 30% of um, your homes, the short-term rentals, but that's one in three. Um, we need folks talking to their legislators to, to really put some real numbers on what one in three looks like in your community um, and how many homes that actually is and what that would do to your neighborhood because you can't limit or spread those out that 30 percent out uh, across the community you uh you have no ability to regulate that you can just say it's a cap of 30 percent so there's a question of how would you enforce that there's a question of can you offer a uh, property right to 30 percent of the owners and withhold it from 70 percent there's also uh, language in there that appears uh, to l allow you to limit um, two short-term rental properties per owner. So in theory, um, it's said that somebody can only own two per community. Well, even in theory, if I can, if you can own two per community, we have, uh, you know, over a thousand <laughs> municipalities. So technically someone could own thousands in our state. And, and how is that not a commercial enterprise? But even um, with that two per, um, the way of common ownership and the definition, there it provides a loophole so big. I mean, I could have two, my husband and I could have two, I could have um, two with my son, I could have two with my daughter, you know, two with your parents. I mean, there's, there's ways to get around this, uh, tweaking just that minimally tweaking ownership structures that if somebody wanted to, to get around it, they're gonna very easily be able to get around it. Um, there's also a question in there about, it talks about your rental inspection program and that your uh, one rental inspection, um, it, it can't be through zoning, which many communities don't have it through zoning, but the, um, the last kind of bullet point on that is that your, it can't have the effect of prohibiting a short-term rental. Well, if uh, someone fails their inspection, they are not going to be able to get a permit or move forward in that process. Thus, your uh, regulation has just prohibited a short-term rental by, you know, by them failing their inspection and you denying because of that failed inspection. So there's so many loopholes and questions um, about this. And I think the most important is one, Again, you're talking to your, your senator and your representative. If they voted for this bill, to make sure they understand what they voted for. Um, but one in three homes is, is not good. And that um, there's just a lot of a gray area. We don't need to be putting uh, municipalities um, in the way of, of a bunch of litigation coming forward. And that's what we feel this, this legislation is written will do. 
Oh, Jen, we did get one question, and then I have some questions myself. Uh, it says, um, can properties be owned regarding, in reading the bill, can properties be owned by LLCs? Is that another loophole, or how does that part work? Yeah, it, you know, it would only be two properties per LLC, but I mean, you could have, you know, Joe Smith LLC one, Joe Smith LLC two, and as long as there's a minimal tweak to that, the ownership um, of that LLC, uh, that is the same as, you know, an individual, two individuals, three individuals um, in, in, in changing up the ownership structure. So LLCs definitely um, are the same. What does this bill do if it, if it does get passed to the Senate and signed by the governor? What does it do for the communities that have uh, regulations and ordinances in place right now to try to regulate short-term rentals? What does it do for all those that are out there? I mean, it, it pretty much wipes them off the book because this bill starts and says, for the purposes of zoning, all of the file following apply to a rental of a dwelling, including but not limited to a short-term rental. It's a residential use of property and a permitted use in all residential zones. It is not subject to a special use or conditional use or procedures different from those required for other dwellings in the same zone. It is not a commercial use of property. That is the very first section um, in this bill. That is the wow. crux of the issue. Everything they call that comes them not after commercial. It, <laughs> yeah, wow. not commercial. Uh, it overrides, you know, recent court cases on short-term rentals where local government's ordinances have been upheld by the courts. Um, it undoes that precedent. Um, and it, I mean, you can't treat it. It says you cannot treat it any differently. We also have questions because of that very, the very first language that says for the purposes of dwelling or for the purposes of zoning, all of the following apply. And it says, including, but not limited to short-term rentals. So have we now just opened this up to other uh, commercial type activities in residential, as long as um, they are uh, 30 days or less in the definition. So what would so, be an example of something like that potentially? Well, you know, we have uh, other business activities. You have um, in-home businesses where uh, daycares, um, sometimes um, barber type activities, accounting, and those are permitted things that you usually have to go through, um, you know, another step or two to get a license or a permit at your local unit. Um, but because this says for the purpose of zoning, all the following apply to a rental of a dwelling, including but not limited to short-term rental. Mm. So that's a question we have out to um, legal right now, trying to uh, figure out if that's a bigger um, issue or not. So. And, and one thing I think is important to mention, Jen, is, is we're not just against this bill. We've actually put forth some other legislation, which we're calling the good neighbor legislation, that that we think is a real reasonable compromise. Because, uh, you know, the opponents have always said, you're just anti-short-term rentals. You just want to ban them. And that's not what we've been saying from the very beginning. We, we do want them. We just want reasonable regulation. So can you talk a little bit about what else is out there and if there's any movement going on with those? Yeah. So at the, you know, if you'll remember back um, in the spring when this heated up in the house and we were talking about it, um, we were trying to, um, you know, slow the bill down at that time. Um, and sorry, I am trying to put the bill that passed here in, in the chat for everyone. Um, but we, 
we were told at that time there would be a work group over the summer and that work group never happened. And so what we did working with um, other local government groups, as well as restaurant and lodging and some other key stakeholders, uh, we put together what was drafted and introduced um, 5465 and 5466. Um, we felt that uh, this is a kind of middle of the ground. Um, are we happy with it? Um, not really. Is it something that we can live with? Um, yes, because our other option is what's going on right now, getting completely preempted. And so what it does is it uh, 5465 creates the Short-Term Rental Regulation Act that would require a statewide registry um, for the properties and all the platforms to register um, because one, this will give us data. Um, this would give us some statewide data of one, how many are actually in the state and to make sure that everybody is paying their taxes, that they are, um, it requires some insurance, it requires, uh, requires some basic safety um, precautions um, when it comes to carbon monoxide and smoke detectors and a fire extinguisher. And it also would tax a short-term rental, it would create a, an excise tax on short-term rentals um, where half of the tax would go to the local unit of government where the short-term rental is located and the other half would go to um, fund uh, Pure Michigan is how it is written in there right now. Um, there's been discussions about some of that money going into um, the Housing and Community Development Fund um, and, and we are open in to all of those different options, but we wanna make sure that locals are actually getting a piece of this because we all know that visitors, there's a cost associated with visitors when it comes to public services and infrastructure. Um, and when you go to a hotel, the bed tax right now, um, that goes to CVBs for marketing of your community. So mm -hmm. uh, currently what's collected, you know, turns around and marketed so more people will come. Um, so we really felt strongly that locals needed to be able to have a small piece of uh, what would be collected. Um, and then 40, excuse me, 5466 um, would be the zoning um, amendment to the Zoning Enabling Act. And it creates a definition for a qualified short-term rental. And that would be a short-term rental that is rented out 30 days or less during a calendar year. And 30 days or less uh, would be a permitted use in residential areas. Um, communities would not be able to not allow that. Um, you would still be able to do your local registries and your local um, inspection programs, those types of things over the 30 days. You would then be able to start to, if you have an over-concentration in, in one district, one neighborhood, you would be able to regulate those so that you're able to balance, again, the needs of housing for everyone, whether it's visitors or full-time um, residents. And we also meant for that 30 days to be a floor. So in communities um, that uh, allow for longer than 30 days or wanna allow for longer than 30 days, they'd be able to do that. It would, again, it would allow for you know more um, communities to regulate the way they need the way they see fit and the way they need, but that 30 days would be, again, the floor. Um, and I know not everyone is happy about that, but we really needed to put something on the table um, and, and show that we are trying to negotiate here. For two years now, we've tried 14 days because 
you know, on the 14th, the 15th day, you are required to start reporting your rental income to the feds. We thought that that set a precedent um, as why to use 14 days. We couldn't get anyone to bite on that, um, whether they were on uh, the Republican or the Democrat side. So we have gone up to the 30 days. Um, and again, we put those bills together and introduce them because we didn't get the work group. We haven't got the other side to be able to sit down and negotiate with us. We just keep getting pushed. Mm. Now, <clears throat> I do want to mention, I'm going to post it here in the chat. We do have a couple of ways you can help uh, us on this effort as it, as it heads to the Senate. Uh, we created an updated letter that you could use through our action center that you could send to your state senators, as well as the governor and lieutenant governor, because um, those are the next steps uh, should this go through the process. Uh, feel free to use that letter, but even better would be calling them. Um, uh, we did get uh, a lot of our members. We sent the, uh, we updated the letter on Friday. We have close to, um, uh, I think about a hundred of our members so far have sent out letters. So that's very helpful, but we need more. We need all, you know, every senator to get multiple calls and emails about this issue. Uh, what are you hearing, Jen, as far as the, the mood of things as his head said the Senate? Yeah, so it's, it depends on who you talk to. Um, there are some over in the Senate that want it to move very, very quickly. Um, there are others that are um, publicly saying they're not okay with um, what came over from the House and that it, we need to slow down and take another look. Um, and so right now, um, you know, like I said, I feel better this morning and some of the conversations I've participated in already today um, that we're not looking at, you know, a late night in the Senate tomorrow. Um, but saying that, I wasn't expecting a late night last Tuesday in the House. Yeah, right. So we are, I would say, kind of, you know, all, all systems ago here. Um, in watching, um, you know, I think I have six different meetings set up today just on this, um, you know, with senators here, um, making sure that they know where we're at. Um, I, I did forget to mention, though, you know, as you are reaching out to your representative, if they were a no vote, please thank them. Um, you know, there was a lot going on. It was late, of, late at night, early in the morning. Um, and, and some of, you know, some of them really, really deserve, um, thank you for standing strong with us, um, late into the night, um, because it, it was a, it was a tough vote. I think whether, um, you know, some of those folks that flipped to yes, right there at the end, um, but some of them stood strong with us the entire time and knew that, you know, they weren't going to, they weren't going to change for anything. So. And, and like you said, they needed 55 votes. The vote was 55 to 48. Cause that looks like, Oh, they had seven votes difference, but for at, at 110 people, they had to have a majority. That's what 55 is. Is that how well, that works? Yep. Yeah. And there were a number. Um, I, I know it's hard to see in my picture. Yeah. Um, it's in the blog too, but there are a number, if the name is in white, um, they did not vote. So whether they were not there, or I can tell you, um, Representative Legrand um, excused, asked to be excused from the vote um, because of a conflict. Um, and so there are a few um, that, one that didn't vote and the rest that weren't there at that time. So really it was basically the difference of one member being that 55th vote, that, that's what made yeah. the difference. And we did have a number of Democrats that sided with Republicans, and we had some Republicans that voted no. So it was one of those rare bills that wasn't straight along party lines. Yep. And so it does look like it was 
um, you know, even though it passed, it does look like it was bipartisan support because, as you said, a number of Democrats did vote for the bill, for the bill with Republicans and vice versa. And are we looking at the same kind of thing in the Senate? I know there are some Democrats that have signed as co-sponsors of the of, of similar bills uh, that have not been changed the way this one's been changed, but on this issue. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's intentionally done. So um, when it if if it makes it to the governor's desk, it makes it much harder to just veto something um, that her own members are supporting and a part of. So um, it's, it's very intentional. And that's why we are asking members to not only reach out to your legislators, but to contact the governor and lieutenant governor at this point, because we can't wait until something's passed for them to know that uh, we are in opposition. Um, right. And I really think, you know, yes, this is an attack on home rule, but talking about the um, housing crisis in your communities um, and how this will exacerbate that um, is, is such an important point to stress when you're talking um, to, to the governor's office or your legislators. Right, if as many as one in three homes can be turned into vacation rentals, that kind of prices people out of just being able to live there year round, right? I mean, explain a little bit how that works because I think that's I lost mean, on some people. Yeah. It's going to definitely, in most areas, drive um, values up and, and price people out, but it takes housing off the market, too. So in, in areas where there's already a lack of stock, I mean, this just takes, this just makes that even that much worse. Um, we can't build as quick um, as they can come off the market. And I mean, John and Luke were talking about this earlier. Even with, you know, if we had all the money and systems to go, we don't even have all the labor we need. Um, to make all these projects get going at, at the pace that we need. So um, this could be a huge disaster down the road. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and we've we seen this. Only, in... we can look to places, yeah, we can look to places like Arizona. I mean, if you Google Arizona and short-term rentals, you can see what they passed a few years ago, and you can see the cry for health now to undo what they did. Right. And, and Florida is the same way. The folks who voted for it, yep, are saying and, and what mistakes. What happens is entire neighborhoods become vacation rentals, and then they're only half occupied, you know, during the peak seasons, and uh, it, it affects just, your schools. Yeah, I mean, I think if we could ask that, if uh, if our members are thinking about this holistically, and I know there are a number of folks out there that are doing some great things, trying to work with their surrounding municipalities and managers and mayors, um, and talk to legislators as a united front. Um, but if you can bring uh, your a superintendent. Uh, your local chamber, um, a local business that is has a shortage of workers or can directly tie to the housing issues that are going on in your community, um, you know, that just speaks that much louder on why this bill and, and this approach is, is bad, bad policy. Yeah, for sure. John, uh, did you have anything to add on this issue? I know uh, you've been following it or any other issues coming up? No, I just Jen knows, right? Uh, collectively as a team, we're here to help support. So whether it be her or with our members, if there's questions, people want to get in touch, reach out. Um, but, you know, it's not a time for us to, to sit back and, and hope this doesn't move, but we got to act. And so that's why we're all hands on deck as staff. And hopefully you as, as members can continue to engage. And the hardest part's going to be to keep it up. Like I, I know, right? you make one, then you make another, then you got to make another. If we're yeah. lucky, we might be back here in three weeks asking you to do it again because it hasn't moved yet. Right. And that's really what at this point, when Jen said she's optimistic, because she's optimistic that a vote could be delayed. Obviously, the end goal is to get no vote at all or get it turned down. But 
uh, you know, a short-term victory would be at least getting it delayed a little bit. Um, we did have a question here from, from Josh and, and uh, Granville. How likely is it the Senate would pass a different version of this bill and it needs to go back to the House for another vote? The reason I ask is my rep will be leaving his House seat and going to the Senate after the election tomorrow, so his seat would be empty. Yeah, we did hear that one of the reasons all of a sudden last week this turned into a rush is because um, a light bulb you know, flash down with somebody of how many uh, potential House members are going to be leaving after the election, um, whether it's for the House, whether we have a, a we have a number um, that are running for mayors in, in their local communities, um, and that would just, you know, make the vote count that much more difficult. Um, but it's very likely, it's very likely that the Senate could tweak something um, and then send it back over to the House and, and there'd be a concurrence vote. Um, I would say, though, for those reps, who voted yes, maybe last minute, it'll be really hard for them. I think um, not impossible, but very difficult for them if they were a yes once to not be a, a, a yes the second time around. That doesn't mean they can't do it, um, but it would take a lot of interaction from their, their local constituents in, in, in getting them to be, do that. Okay, uh, we did get an unrelated short-term rental question, but it's also for you, Jen. Um, and that is, is there any movement, uh, anything in the works to extend the virtual meetings after December 31st, which as we know, during the pandemic, uh, the state did allow communities to meet virtually. Uh, there's some different uh, components of that, but really it all sunsets at the end of December. What's the latest or any talk about extending it? Yeah, so there, there isn't a lot of um, talk and desire at this point to extend um, the, the local state of emergency passed the December 31st um, deadline. There was a bill just introduced by Senator Irwin um, that would extend it to the end of March uh, um, 2022. And, um, but uh, we would need to see some bipartisan support on that for it to get any movement. Um, there has been a number of bills um, that have been moving and, and some that have passed and signed in the law that are, you know, just carving out um, certain public bodies, whether it's the uh, bean growers or the beef cattle association. Um, and so we've been really trying to have conversations with uh, legislators. On, let's look at this more holistically. Um, you know, if, if we're going to allow one group, uh, why don't we look at all non-elected um, boards and commissions. Um, I, and I say non-elected because both, again, this is an issue with both sides of the aisle where uh, we haven't gotten somebody to bite and say that they are supportive of elected officials only participating virtually in meetings. Um, and, and so we were hoping that if we could do those appointed um, and non-elected boards and commissions, we would show um, legislators, you know, going forward after a little period of time, this isn't the big scary thing that you think it is. There's not all kinds of shenanigans happening right. um, with virtual meetings. Uh, but yeah, it, at this point, it does not look like we're going to get um, an extension on that December 31st. So if you're meeting virtually, you should plan to not meet virtually after December 31st. And, and some of those non-elected boards you mentioned, I'm assuming are like planning commissions, downtown development authorities, ZBAs, things like that. And they are all yep. also have to be sunset. We'll have to go back in person after December 31st. Yep. Um, well, and, and municipalities have the ability to um, 
allow for the public to participate virtually. Um, they can't deny somebody coming in physically to the public meeting, um, but we have heard from many of our members that they've actually had an uptick in participation um, and will continue to allow for public participation through that virtual option. So they could still do it virtual for the public if they want to watch or, yeah. or comment how that, yeah. that could still be done. You could do a hybrid situation, but you have to have your, your council people in person. In person, yeah. Yep. So uh, one other question, Jen, what is the, uh, regarding a short-term rental issue came in, what is the Senate number on the short-term rental bill? Is there a like bill that's that we're fighting? Yeah, there is Senate Bill 446. Um, it was identical to 4722 when introduced, um, but it is, it has not, it's the same bill that came out of the Senate um, Regulatory Reform Committee. It's sitting on the Senate floor. It's been there since, I want to say, May, because um, it got introduced on a Thursday. It was in committee on a Tuesday, and it was on the Senate floor the day after that, um, and it's just been sitting there. So there is the, the opportunity, I guess, to, um, to do something with that bill, but it sounds like from uh, the Senate Reg Reform Chair, who is also the sponsor of 446, uh, there, there's more interest in, um, in working with 4722 at this point. Okay. And there is the opportunity that we could try and um, introduce uh, the 5465 and 5466 over in the Senate as mm. well. So those are some things that we are discussing and looking at um, currently too. Okay. Well, great. Well, a lot going on. Uh, thank you, Jen. Thank you, John. I do want to remind everybody that our next Live with the League is scheduled for noon on Monday, November 15th. Um, we also have a um, Michigan Association of Mayors President and Mayors Institute on November 18th and 19th. That's in person in Mount Pleasant. Uh, there are still some openings on that. If, if you're a mayor or, or village council president, uh, feel free to look into that. Uh, it's a really good two-day uh, agenda packed with a lot of interesting uh, and, and informative um, sessions on everything from how to run a meeting to, you know, how to do, you know, civility and a lot of different issues. So feel free to um, uh, look at that. You can look at all of our events, including a number of ARP-related uh, trainings, American Rescue Plan Act trainings on our events calendar. And thank you, Betsy, for posting that in our chat. Um, and that's everything for today. I appreciate everybody on. Uh, we had a great discussion. Hope to see you next time. Thank you. This has been a production of the Michigan Municipal League. For more information on our programs and services, please visit www.mnl.org and join us for the next episode of We Love Where You Live.